We've been talking about the, the activity of God over the last few weeks, and, um, and we're going to continue that this morning. Again, maybe a little different than what we're used to, uh, but we're going to talk about it in light of the suffering of Christ, in light of the myrrh uh, that was brought, what that symbolized. Uh, this morning, this message probably is a little more for the unbeliever than the believer, but it's really for both because we, we all need to grasp it. We all need to understand it and embrace the fact that suffering happens. Amen? Even this morning during our, our first service, I, for, I forgot to shut my cell phone off. And I had it in my pocket. Well, I, had it, I set it up here and didn't think about it. I, I normally leave it in my office and it started ringing. In youth group, when that happened, I would answer it and we'd all say hello. But I, I didn't feel like I should do that out here. But uh, they, they were trying to get a hold of us at Ruth Beaver. Is she's been taken back into surgery early this morning, just having a lot of problems, a lot of uh, bacterial infection and things. So um, we need to be praying for her. And then if you could be praying for her and thinking about her over the next few days and their family, I'm sure they'd appreciate it. Uh, we prayed for them this morning, also in the prayer room prayed for her as well. Um, but just keep, them, keep her and her family in your thoughts and prayers as the days go by. But I don't think there's any doubt in our mind that we understand there's a lot of suffering in life. It's just the way life is, amen? I don't, the moment that we're born onto this earth, it, we're just, we're just going to face suffering. And it's not something that's wonderful. And you say, Pastor Bob, this is supposed to be a Christmas message. Come in here and beat people down talking about suffering. Well, we're supposed to be joyful in our tribulation, amen? So let's be joyful today and be happy in the fact that we suffer a little bit because Christ came and suffered for us, right? It's hard for us to recognize and realize why the Son of God would come into human form to begin with. We can't wrap our minds around it. We can't grasp it. At least I know I can't. I mean, we have some understanding in the Scripture why it happened. We can't understand the, you know, the full price that He paid just to become human flesh. Why would He do that, Pastor Bob? Well, because first and foremost, mankind in the, the Garden of Eden fell. We talked about that. Mankind fell in the Garden of Eden. They used to be able to speak with God openly without any kind of conflict, without any kind of separation. And, but sin came into the situation, and God cannot coexist with sin. And so there was the separation. Amen? We talked about that a while back. The truth of the matter is, is this. God told Moses that you can't see my face. No man can see my face and live. Why is that, Pastor Rob? Well, the reason is, is because while we are in this flesh, it is unredeemed. It is not redeemed yet. Even if a believer, you or I, Moses was definitely a believer. Moses was in great standing with God. Moses could not look at God's face and live. Mankind has is, is been living with this separation. You and I, as a believer, are redeemed inwardly. The Spirit of God has saved us. But if our flesh was to gaze upon God, it would die because it is still unredeemed. It's still sinful. There's a separation. Mankind is so afraid of God. We, if God appeared this morning in all of His glory, we would be scared to death. We wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. If God spoke in this room today with an audible voice of His voice, we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. We'd be afraid. We'd be like the children of Israel in the wilderness when God began to speak from the top of the mountain and they said, we're going to stand afar off, speak to Moses. Don't speak to us unless we die. There's a fear there. Can we grasp that? We don't understand God. We can't fathom Him. We can't look at Him and have confidence. We can't stand it. For example, another example is, is uh, Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. They're with their friend Jesus, the guy they only know that they understand He's the Son of God. They're pretty comfortable with Him. 
They see him transfigured. All of a sudden, he's glorified, glowing, and he's got Elijah and Moses. They're not afraid. But if you read the scripture, they're sitting there and they're talking, hey, let's build this, let's do this. And then the voice of God speaks. And they tremble in fear and hide their face. You see, mankind, there's a separation. Another example, John sees Jesus glorified in Revelation chapter 1, glorified in a glorified state, looks at him and sees him as though he was God, and he falls, on his, falls at his feet as a dead man, afraid of him. But this is what happens. Jesus touches him, and he says, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. You may say, what are you saying to me? I'm saying to you very simply this morning, Jesus Christ is our mediator. He is our mediator. He is our only hope to ever coming into right relationship with God. It's only through Him. He is the one that came to speak so that we could hear and see and be able to understand and accept who He is so that we may know God. See, God loves us. God loves us, church. But he's so, he's so big and majestic and amazing that even if he says, I love you, it's going to scare us to death. Because we can't fathom him. Fathom him. So over 2,000 years ago, by his love, he sent us a gift that we still can't fully comprehend, but we can look at and we can receive and we can begin to see and understand who God is. And if we look at the life of Jesus Christ... All of a sudden, we begin to see the compassion. We begin to see the love. We begin to see the healing. We begin to see the mercy. We begin to see the saving grace of a God that has loved mankind all along that we just can't get to. We can't see. This is the plan of Christmas. This is the plan. This is the activity of God for Christmas. To give us a mediator. I know it's not anything glorious, is it? Pastor Bob, I was really hoping you would really wow us with some great information. I've got the greatest news you could ever have, church. Amen. Jesus Christ is our mediator. He's the one that's settling the argument, amen? He's the one that's bringing to us, he's speaking to God on our behalf, and he's speaking to us about God on his behalf, and we're coming together, and all of a sudden, things are starting to work. Amen. Jesus Christ was given to us. That is, that is Christmas. The gift is the mediator, Jesus Christ, whom without Him we are hopeless. Without Him we are adversaries of God. Without Him there is nothing good in our lives. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 says, I'm going to go somewhere, we'll turn somewhere in just a minute right now, you can read it off the screen, but 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. In the sight of God, he would have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Hebrews chapter 4, we know also that he's, he's not uh, somebody that's blind to what we feel and see. We've read this passage many times, seeing then, Hebrews 4.14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to, and to help in time of need. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 10 with me. Again, a little different Christmas message this morning. But Jesus Christ came in the flesh. 
He was tempted in every way. He suffered in every way. He has experienced everything that we experience, except for sin. (laughs) And He's been risen from the dead. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He intercedes for us. He is the one avenue that we can be saved. The one avenue. I don't know how we ended up with all the different traditions we have in in, in America. I don't know how all these world things came around and in so many different things that are celebrated about this time of year that have have affiliation with Christmas. I don't understand it. I don't know what all of it is. Uh, I don't know where a lot of it came from, but I can tell you this. If we celebrate it all and we miss Jesus Christ, we've missed the one gift that was given. I don't know when he was born. Nobody knows when he was born. But if we're going to stop and remember it, if we're going to stop and think about it, Let's celebrate Jesus today. Linda Herzog has a really cute story of her grandson talking about wanting a gift for Christmas. And where is she? Is she even in here now? She stepped, she must still be out back. She said something about the fact, well, it's it's Jesus' birthday. So somebody was telling him it's Jesus' birthday and he was wanting gifts or something. She said, Well, it's Jesus' birthday. He said, Yeah, well, it's Jesus' birthday, that's fine. I'm going to open his gifts, and he wants a Cubs bat. (laughs) A little bitty kid, three-year-old kid. It's real easy to get caught up in all this stuff. and It is Jesus' birthday, but we're the ones that receive. Isn't that neat? We're the ones that receive. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. You say, what is all this stuff that I've said about Christ being the mediator and, and Him doing all these things and suffering? What's this have to do with Christmas? I'm going to read a passage that has... Says nothing about his birth, but has everything to do with it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4 For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me, prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Jesus said, I come. I come. Church, you say, what does it have to do with Christmas? It has everything to do with the Christmas that the blood of bulls and of goats was not enough. We could sacrifice animals from now to eternity and it would not save us. It was not good enough. It wasn't adequate. It was a symbol of the coming of Christ. And he said, listen, because of that, God says, basically because of that, it's not good enough. I've got to prepare a body for my son to have that will be adequate. Jesus said, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. A body. A birth. A baby. A body. You see, church, Christmas is wrapped up in the suffering of Christ. The body had to be given. We celebrate the body that's given, maybe just not offered up yet. This time of the year when we stop and think about and remember the birth of Christ, we remember the giving of a body that was a worthy sacrifice. We remember the giving of the Son of God in a body form that was going to shed blood that was holy and pure and clean and a worthy sacrifice for us. It's really a morbid thing to think about, isn't it? The Son of God being born to die. You know, there are, there are unbelievers right now that if I said, you know, our, Jesus Christ was given to die for us, They would say, and they would twist it like this, what a horrible father God must be. 
to make his son go down to earth and to die for us. What a horrible God. You think I want to serve that God? I've heard these statements before. Has anybody ever heard those kinds of statements before? Let's look at that passage again. Verse 7. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Jesus said, I come. I do it. No man takes my life from me, but I lay it down. He offered himself, church. It was the will and plan of God, yes, but he obeyed him and he carried it out. And it wasn't some mean, angry God that was doing it. It was because he he loved us enough. And it was because Jesus loved his Father and he loved us enough that he followed through with it, that we might know him. And we celebrate this at Christmas, the fact that a body has been given to the Son of God. Blood, a life has been given to be shed on our behalf. When we celebrate it, that's, that's the odd thing. and That's why people can't grasp it. Because when we celebrate a baby's birth, you know, we think about the future. You know? We think about, oh, is he, is he going to be a basketball player? Those giant hands, are gonna, he's going to play piano or, or, I don't know, giant feet swim really well. We talked about that before, too. But he's got giant feet. I, I don't know. You know, is she going to sing? Is she going to... She's going to love horses and dogs and, and what, what, what is it that's going to be their thing? Are they going to, they going to be a daddy's girl or a mommy's boy or, you know, what, what is it? And we start thinking about the future and we start planning for things coming up. That's the normal thing with a baby, right? Amen. Don't you think Mary and Joseph experienced some of that in Luke chapter 1? We see what they've been told. Luke chapter 1 verse 31, and behold to Mary said, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now moms, that's a pretty good thing. If you have an angel show up and say, This is your son, and he's going to be king, and all these wonderful things. He's going, to, he's going to give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. He's going to be the king of Israel forever. There should be no end to his kingdom. I would say Mary's feeling pretty good at this point. And Lord, I'm humbled that you would do this through me. Isn't that normal of a child though? Everybody wants somebody to prophesy great things over their kids. Everybody wants somebody to say great things about their kids. You want to build a parent up? Talk good about their kids. I learned that in youth ministry. It's a pretty good little trick. You know, you're doing a great job with them kids. They're amazing, you know. And they look at you and say, my kids? You're talking about my kids? Yeah. All of a sudden, you have a parent that'll love you and do anything you ever want them to do. It's amazing. I didn't say I lied. I told them the truth. They're all amazing. And the same thing is said, of, said, to, said to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. It says, and, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, if that isn't a son that a dad can be proud of, the conqueror, the savior, you know, the Rambo, the uh, whatever you want to say, the one that goes in and dominates, the one that scores the touchdown to win the game, the one that hits the last second shot, the one, isn't that how dad's minds work? My kid, my boy. Bill Cosby used to do something like that years ago. That's my son with the football. My son. It, that's how we are, dads. And I can imagine that Joseph is thinking the same thing. And the angels even said in Luke chapter 2, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. There's some pretty good things being said about Jesus' birth. And I can only imagine that they didn't fully grasp the whole plan of God. 
They didn't fully grasp the whole plan. They understood that he was going to be great. They understood that he was going to be the Messiah. But we also know and understand that at the day and age, they didn't understand who the Messiah was going to be and what he was coming to do. They thought he was coming in to rule and reign. I bet Mary had planned out in her mind and, and coveted all these things in her heart and, and thought about great things. And wow, you know, I just treasure up all these things. This is going to be great. This is going to be amazing. Finally, the Messiah is here. Not only is he in my day and age, he's growing up in my house. This is a great responsibility. It's going to be amazing. He's going to get old enough and he's going to rule and reign. He's going to overthrow all the governments and he's going to take over and he's going to feed us. He's going to take care of us. It's going to be amazing because they were looking for the second coming, not the first. But if you keep reading in Scripture, they go into Simeon, Luke chapter 2, verse 30. We talked about Simeon briefly a couple weeks ago. He said this in verse 30, For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Can you blame them? Can you blame them? But then look what happens next, verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Spoken against? Wait a second. Wait. All anybody said about this is this is Messiah. He's going to be wonderful and he's going to be the king. He's going to rule and reign and he's, he's going to be spoken against? How is he going to be spoken against? This is the Messiah. Simeon, led by the Holy Spirit, said he's going to be spoken against. And then he says, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Ouch. A sword's going to pierce my soul. A, what? A sword's going to pierce my soul. And then Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, the wise men come in, and they, and they come into the house. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gold, obviously, recognizing his deity as the Son of God. They understand that he's the Son of God. Frankincense, a symbol of worship unto God. They understand he's God. But wait a second, myrrh? What's, what's myrrh? Myrrh? Why would you give us myrrh? It's like a cow with a speech impediment, isn't it? Myrrh. <laughs> myrrh. It just kind of hit me. I kept saying myrrh. I... <laughs> myrrh. That's not what myrrh is, by the way. Myrrh is not a cow with a speech impediment. Myrrh is a symbol of suffering. Do you think the plan of God was beginning to be unfolded before Mary and Joseph? You think they were starting to grasp that maybe there's something more here going on than what we expected? There's something more going on with this baby's life than what we had assumed? You know, everybody wants Christianity to be perfect and happy and wonderful and joyful and fluffy and warm, but that's just, it's just not how it is. We have to live in this fallen world just like he did. And they're suffering. Myrrh, I did a little research. Myrrh comes from the Aramaic word which means bitter. Myrrh is produced by the comephora. Comephora, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's C O M M. I-P-H-O-R-A, 
myrrh tree. But this is how they get it. And this is what it said. It says, a purposeful wound. A purposeful wound into the tree, into the sap bark. And they would catch and harvest it. And through that purposeful wound, they harvest something that is used for a perfume, which is always a form of worship, is it not, in Scripture? It's used for by the ancient Egyptians as a form of, uh, for a, what's the word, embalming, embalming the dead. It's reference to death. And did you know in the Middle East that myrrh is also a healing ointment? Suffering of Christ. Listen, we can celebrate Christmas all we want, but the activity of God is not just found in the fun and wonderful and the gift-giving things. It's also found in the suffering. God works through suffering, Pastor Bob. Why would I want to serve a God that works through suffering? God worked through suffering to bring us salvation. Very precise wounds that bled, that are a fragrant aroma to our Lord and Savior, to God through our Lord and Savior's sacrifice. Wounds that brought death, but wounds that bring healing. Amen? You think, you think that maybe the wise men had read Isaiah 53? You think maybe, I mean, here we have, uh, through all this, we have the angels declaring who he is. We have uh, them declaring who he is to, to Mary and Joseph and to the, the shepherds. And we have Simeon led by the Holy Spirit who starts talking about people speaking against him and a sword piercing hearts. And then all of a sudden we have now, we, we have this whole situation with the wise men coming in bringing these gifts. And now they're talking about bitterness and suffering. The only two people that, that really got it were those that led by the Holy Spirit and the ones that searched the scriptures. You say, search the scriptures. The wise men weren't Jews. They weren't from around there. They only knew about him because of what the scriptures said. Isaiah 53 verse 2 says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastity the of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Myrrh. Does that sound like myrrh to you? <laughs> Wounds that are bringing peace. Wounds that are bringing healing. Wounds that are doing a work. Wounds that were a fragrance to God, a sacrifice to God, and de- in death. God works through myrrh, church. We celebrate the birth of Christ. We can't just celebrate his life alone, but also his suffering. You know, the easy, it's, it's easy for us to get excited and talk about his great teachings. You know, I, I love the parables. I love all the parables. I love to dig into them and look and see all the wonderful things that are in them. I love the Sermon on the Mount. Wow. Talk about taking the Old Testament law and bringing it to reality for us today and understanding all that. I mean, we can exalt all that stuff and say, wow, the teachings of Jesus were amazing. But if we didn't have the myrrh of Christ's life, if we didn't have his suffering, his death, burial, and resurrection, do you realize how minuscule that makes those things? All of a sudden, he becomes a philosopher just like all the others. Do you realize that? Without his suffering, without his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus is just another philosopher, just like Socrates, 
just like many others, Buddha, others, whoever you want to say. He's just the same. But he had to suffer. You say, well, Pastor Bob, you know, we, we want to celebrate his life. Well, we do. We can celebrate all the healing. We can celebrate the miracles. We can celebrate that he raised Lazarus from the dead. We can celebrate the eyes being opened. We can celebrate the lepers being healed. We can celebrate all that stuff. But unless he was suffering and dying and rising again, all that stuff would only be good for that time. Because if he wouldn't have died for us, we wouldn't have the opportunity to see healings today. Without the suffering, all of it is very minuscule in its ability to affect our lives. Some people say, I can't serve God that would allow bad things to happen. Has anybody ever heard that before? Don't you wish they could come up with something better than that? I can't serve a God that would let bad things happen. Well, okay, my challenge to them is this. You find me another God that somebody serves that they never have anything bad happen in their lives. Go check with, with uh, the nation of Islam. Go check with Buddha. Go check with somebody else and you tell me if their lives are perfect. You find some other God that they serve and tell me if their lives are perfect. My God's alive. Besides, the reason there's pain and suffering in this life is because of sin. And my Savior came into this life and suffered it too. Why do we think we're any different? Well, Jesus didn't suffer except... No, Jesus suffered the moment He was put in flesh. He suffered the moment He was put in flesh. We celebrate at Christmas when He was born onto this earth, even though He's a cute little baby and He's, he's crying and, and eating milk, what babies do, whatever they do. If, even if He's born into this life like that, He's still suffering. You say, well, how can you say that? Because I know that the glory of heaven is way better than the flesh of this earth. <laughs> Can I get an amen on that one? <laughs> this flesh hurts. Flesh is painful. Flesh hungers. Flesh is thirsty. Flesh has needs. And now we have the creator of the universe all of a sudden in a needy condition. Tell me he didn't suffer in life. Life is full of suffering, church. It's going to suffer. It's just the way it is. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. It means that we don't love God. And even if we love God, and even if we're a child of God, and we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, there's still going to be suffering. It's not going to go away. And if we look at it and think about it, even the disciples themselves brought more suffering in their lives when they began to follow Christ than before. Did they not? All of a sudden now, they're all being martyred. Follow Christ, they're being pursued and killed. All of them, all the apostles were martyred with the exception of John, and that was only because they couldn't kill him. It's true, they boiled him in oil and then stuck him on an island to die. Died of natural causes, records say. <laughs> wow. After being boiled in oil! Don't talk to me about suffering! Jesus Christ suffered. Those who follow Him will suffer. Amen? We're going to have bad things. We're going to have bad days. And we can whine and complain and get mad and all the time, all that we want to. But the matter of the fact is this. God loves us even in the midst of our suffering. He's going to use it to benefit us. Amen. Now the problem is, is people, they, they, don't want to, they don't want to serve God and suffer. And they think, well, Jesus Christ had to suffer and God's mean and all that stuff. Listen, there's this, this theology today that says if you, if you get saved, your life's going to be wonderful. And that's what everybody wants to hear. It's a good selling point, amen? Doesn't everybody want to have a great life? I want a great life. God has got a great plan for your life. Well, He does. But His great plan, He had a great plan for Jesus' life too. 
well, that, that's not what my great plan will look like. You know, I don't want, I'm sure he had a great plan for, for, uh, for Paul's life. He had a great plan for Peter. He had a great plan for John's life as well. But there's suffering in that life. Listen, people will stand up in front of churches and say, listen, you need to come to Jesus Christ because he, he wants to bless you. He wants to give you a great life. And, and, and then people will come to the altars and then we wonder why we never see them again. I'll tell you why. It's because we've sold them something false. He does have a great plan for our lives, but it doesn't mean our lives are going to be perfect doesn't mean our lives are going to be wonderful. doesn't mean everything's going to work out. doesn't mean we're going to drive the nicest car, have the nicest house, have the best kids in the world. doesn't mean that we're never going to get sick. doesn't mean that we're not going to be overweight, underweight, or hungry, or thirsty, or anything else. It means that we're going to have to deal with some things. Amen? It means that our gallbladder might quit working someday. It means that our appendix may have to get jerked out at 15 years old like mine did. I don't know what it means. But I mean that it's not going to be perfect. And the reason is, is when people tell us, they say, you need to receive Jesus Christ as a supplement to make your life better. That's what we take him as. We take him as though he's, he's a supplement, an additive that's going to make my life better today. Lord, I receive you because I need a better life. And then we find out that it didn't work because we're trying to supplement our lives rather than having our lives be changed by him. Here's an example. If, if I was going to fly from, from New York City to California. I'm going to adapt it for those of you that were in the first service. I messed it up a little bit. If I was going to fly from New York to L.A. and I get on the plane and I get somewhere over Indiana, sitting in the plane, kicked back, relaxing, got a few more hours to fly. And, this, and the stewardess comes over and she says, Sir, I, I need you to put on this parachute. Why? Well, it's, it's, it's going to enhance your flight. It is, yeah. Okay. You put this parachute on and, and it's going to sure make your life better. You put it on and it's going gonna, it's gonna to make this flight for the next few hours wonderful. You put it on. Well, obviously, you put on the parachute. You put on the leg straps, the waist strap, the shoulder straps. You get everything harnessed in together and the parachute's big and you're kind of leaning against it in your seat and you're looking around and the airplanes are tight and cramped anyway and everybody else is kind of looking at you and they don't have parachutes on and they're comfortable and you're thinking, why did I do this? My back is hurting, my neck is hurting. You shift, you move, you turn and then pretty soon your option is to say, that lady lied to me. It did not enhance my flight whatsoever and you take the parachute off and say that was a lie. But... If we get on a flight from New York to L.A. and we're somewhere over Indiana and the stewardess comes up and says, Sir, you need to put this parachute on. And I say, Why? She says, Because this plane's going to crash within the next 15 to 20 minutes and you're going to need this to jump off and survive. All of a sudden, the parachute becomes a little more important. All of a sudden, the parachute becomes something that if I'm uncomfortable, I don't care. All of a sudden, the parachute, even if it makes my life a little bit more uncomfortable than everybody else around me, I don't really care anymore because wrapped up in it is my only hope for life. You see, we live in a world that doesn't realize that this ship we're on is headed for destruction. We live in a world that doesn't realize that this life, systematically, naturally, is going to end. And they need a parachute. They don't need an additive to make their life better. Listen, there's going to be suffering, church. If Jesus Christ is going to bring about suffering in your life. I just said that with the disciples. How many of you have been called names because you're a believer in Jesus Christ? I've been called names. I've been called stupid. I've been called weak-minded. I've been made fun of. I've been laughed at. But I'm going to tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to take my parachute off. Why? Because we're headed for destruction 
Isn't this an encouraging Christmas message? <laughs> Don't you just love the Holy Spirit? He's so concerned about eternity. Why is the Holy Spirit always so concerned about eternity? You think maybe he knows the plane's going to crash? Listen, I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to take place. I don't know when it is that I'm going to leave this earth, but I'm going to tell you what I have. I have a mediator that I'm holding tight to that I know is my Savior and that I know that all my hope and all my life and all my salvation and everything for my eternity is wrapped up in and I don't care if I'm discomforted. I don't care if somebody laughs at me. I don't care if I'm exhausted. I don't care if I'm tired. I don't care if what anybody says with me. I can be living in a field in a tent and I'm going to hold on to my parachute. You can say whatever you want to about me, but the gift was given over 2,000 years ago in the form of a body of a baby that died for me, and I'm going to hold on to Jesus Christ because that's my hope. That's it. That's it. Amen? You can do whatever you want. You can say, Pastor Bob, suffering's not a part of Christianity. Suffering's bad. Suffering's this. Listen, I know that God works through suffering because He worked through the suffering of Jesus Christ. And without the suffering of Jesus Christ, we would not have the opportunity to come to God. We can't approach the throne room boldly without that suffering. We can't celebrate Christmas of, of, of a baby being born without realizing the life that He lived, but also the death that He died for us. Matthew 10, 24 says, The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Listen, church, we're going to head into a time over the next 10 to 15 years where persecution of the Christian church is going to increase. It's going to increase. Don't, don't become disheartened about it. They called him Beals above, they're going to call us that too. They're going to. James 1, chapter 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. We learn from our suffering. Hebrews 5, 7 in, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Listen, church, Jesus even learned through suffering. You say, well, how can he learn? He's the son of God, Pastor Bob. How can Jesus learn anything if he's the son of God? Because he had never been in flesh before. He had always obeyed his father easily, without temptation, without the desire. He knew he was going to be facing a separation from his father. He knew he was going to hurt. He knew he was going to be beaten. He knew he was going to be destroyed. This is in reference to him crying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, Lord, if there's another way, take this cup from me. This is hard. This is hard to obey, Lord. If there's another way, take this cup from me. But if not, if not, but you will be done. I'll do your will. We know there was no other way. And we know that he learned obedience through his suffering. He obeyed the will of God. He hung on the cross for our sins on our behalf. This morning as we tear open our gifts, this morning, this Saturday morning, for my family, Friday morning. 
We tear open our gifts in this spoiled, rotten, blessed nation that we are. We tear those open. We need to remind ourselves of the gift of Jesus Christ. It's a gift of a, of a baby with a future that looked hopeful, but through people in confusion as he died. The disciples were scattered. They were even confused when he rose again and said, He is here, he was here, he was here, he was here. The giving of a body with a future to suffer and die on our behalf, that's what we celebrate this Christmas. Jesus Christ, giving up all that he had in glory to become man for us. It's a very simple message. But I'm going to tell you what, he's my parachute. (laughs) When things are good, when things are bad, when I forget how my flight's going to end, I'm not going to let the discomfort cause me to take him off. I'm going to carry him with me, amen? You stand with me this morning.